The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Uh, my name is Dustin. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the worship pastor here at LifePoint. Uh, and I thought that I would just start with two fun facts about myself. Get anyone who like, doesn't really know me all caught up on anything that you need to know. Uh, and here are those two facts, okay? Fact number one is that not this coming Tuesday, but next Tuesday is my birthday. Okay? I'm just saying. Fact number two is that I love cookie cake. Okay? So, but here's the deal. I won't be here next Sunday, so if someone can get Susie Clark on that meal train, all right? We can start a meal train. We can get all taken care of. I'm just saying, cookie cake, my house. Now that you know everything you need to know about me, let's dive in. Listen, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, if you are lost because you've never heard those words before, uh, 2 Chronicles is before Psalms and Proverbs, but it's after like Kings and Samuel. And so if there are other really long names that you don't know how to pronounce, probably take a left. Uh, but if there are uh, names that sound like charges to people like Leviticus or Deuteronomy, take a right. Okay? You'll probably find it. 2 Chronicles Chapter 20. This text is following a man named Jehoshaphat. Okay, everybody say that with me. Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. One more time. Jehoshaphat. Nice. Okay, now say it like a battle cry. That was nice. That was nice. That's what I'm talking about. Jehoshaphat was one of the kings of Judah and is mentioned earlier in Chronicles for walking in the earlier ways of David, which basically means that he didn't chase after idols. Uh, He gave his whole life to the Lord. He followed the commandments, uh, and he really just wanted to maintain peace in the nation of Israel and glorify God. And so that brings us to chapter 20 and verse 2. And so let's read. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom. From beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazen Tamar. When, when he says a great multitude, he's not joking. There are three nations that have banded together and are on their way crossing the Red Sea to take on Judah and Israel. Their intentions are to destroy them. Now, if I were Jehoshaphat, I'm going to be honest, I would be a little terrified. Jehoshaphat, he's, he's not ready for battle. See, in, in chapters 17 through 19, God uses Jehoshaphat to bring about uh, unity through Israel and Judah. And he keeps them from destruction and battle. And Jehoshaphat is starting to create a, a reformation. He's starting to reform Israel. He's putting judges in places and priests in cities and over families to help maintain a nation of peace that glorifies God. And so in the middle of all of this reformation, he gets word that there's an army coming from him. And I'm going to be honest, he's probably not prepared for war. That's probably the last thing on his mind. And in the middle of doing what God has called him to do, in the middle of walking in the calling of God and probably doing really great things for the Lord, he receives terrible news that something relentless is coming for him. And I just want to start by asking you this morning, just get real, real early. Have you ever been there? Where you feel like you're doing all the right things for the Lord, you feel like God has actually called you to do this thing, but something continues to go wrong. Like you can't catch a break. Have you ever been there? 
It's like no matter how much you give yourself to the Lord, no matter how much you lay your life down at the feet of Jesus, there's always something standing in the way. There's always something on your heels. On your heels. And listen, let's just be honest. Whether you know Jesus is your Savior in here or not, can we all agree that it always seems like at the worst possible moment we get the worst possible news? Right? Like, can we just agree on that? It always seems like when it couldn't get any worse, it gets worse. And it seems like in the worst, most inconvenient times, we're really forced to face our shortcomings. And it seems like in the worst moments, we're forced to face defeat. See, the worst possible time for Israel to face an army of that magnitude, they receive word that that army isn't just being assembled, but it's already on its way. It's crossing the Red Sea. It's getting ready for battle. And they had to face the fact that they were completely unequipped and ill-prepared to face this army. And it's in that moment that God wanted to meet Israel right where they were at. Listen, it's in the moments of doubt and fear and anxiety that God wants to show you his power and his might. Listen, our God is a God who cares really deeply about you, more deeply than you could ever care for your children or for your wife or for your family. Our God cares so deeply and richly about you, and he's there ready to supply you with victory for your life. He's there in every moment of every day ready to show you what victory looks like over sin and temptation and trial. And so pick up with me at verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Listen, it's when you're facing defeat that God wants to show you his victory. If you're taking notes, write this down. We start to see God's victory in our lives when we start to seek him as the victor. When faced with the impossible odds, Jehoshaphat turns his face to the Lord. When told that there's an army that is going to crush them and realizing that there's nothing he can do, he turns to the Lord. The Hebrew paints an image here that uh, Jehoshaphat didn't just pray to the Lord, that he actually turned away from where he received the bad news from and looked towards the heaven to seek the Lord. He knew that the first thing his mind needed to seek in order to for his fear to relent, was the face of the Lord. Church, hear me. In the midst of your fear and your anxiety, Jesus is with you. I don't know where you're at, but he has not abandoned you. I don't know what you're going through, but listen, Jesus has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He has not led you into the darkness alone, and he has not given you the task to take care of whatever you're going through on your own. That's not what Jesus does. He is standing with you so that you would turn your face to him who holds everything in the palm of his hand. And when you set your face on Jesus, you will see his victory. Because listen, victory is in his presence. Where Jesus is, he is victorious. Always remember that. Where Jesus is, he will be victorious. And so when you start to seek his face, you start to recognize he's already standing with you. You will start to see victory in your life. Jesus is with you to show you that although the battle is too big for you, it is not and will never be too big for him. Jehoshaphat sought the Lord because he's witnessed that the Lord is not only his constant refuge, but that he continues to bring victory over and over again. And he begins to pray powerfully for himself and for the nation of Israel. And if you look, the first four verses of, of the next prayer, the, it's seven verses, the first four verses are him just acknowledging God for who he is. 
over and over again. God, you are the one that formed the heavens and the earth. God, you are the one that brought us these victories. You are the one that does all these things. You are the one that is constant. You hold us in the palm of your hand. And he just affirms God for who he is, and that's called praise. When we talk to the Lord and we take an attribute of his and we affirm him for that, that is called praise. And so the first half of Jehoshaphat's prayer is just praise, which is exactly what Jesus tells us to do when he teaches us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. The first thing he says to do is to address the Lord who is in heaven and hallowed be his name, to affirm God for who he is, that he is the creator. And so that's exactly what Jehoshaphat does, the whole first half of his prayer. And in the second half of his prayer, he just asks God to be victorious again. He knows that God is the one that brings about the victories. He knows that God is the one that's going to lead them into freedom because he's done it before over and over and over again. And so the end of his prayer, he basically just says, God, can you please do it again? Joseph knows that there's going to be a victory in this war. It has to come through the hands of the Lord. Listen, if you want victory in your life over sin and over shame, If you want victory in your families, in your marriages, in your private life, and in your public life, it's only going to come through the hands of Jesus. You're not going to find victory in any other way, victory that frees you from worry, victory that frees you from anxiety. You're not going to find it in any other way except through Jesus. He's already victorious. Listen, he's already won the war. Sin is already defeated. Death has already been put to death. And listen, the grave has already been robbed by Jesus. Amen. When you start to see him as the victor who has already won the war to set you free, you will begin to see victory in your life. So listen, seek his face. When you set your eyes on Jesus, you'll see that his power is more than enough for our circumstances. Now keep tracking with me because God tells Israel three incredible things in his response that I want to share with you. And this text is super awesome. Start in uh, verse 15 with me. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but whose? God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. Okay, let's stop there. Listen, the best thing you could ever hear after receiving the worst news you've ever heard is that someone is going to step in and take the burden from you. Right? Like, let's just, let's be real. In any circumstance, you receive bad news. The best thing you could ever hear following that is that, by the way, the burden's not on you. Rest easy whether it's sickness or illness, whether it's brokenness, whether it's defeat or heartbreak, the best thing you could possibly hear after facing those odds is that someone would step in and take care of that burden for you. Listen, Jehoshaphat knew that unless God stepped in, they would be destroyed. And what is the first thing that God says he's going to do? He's going to step in. He says the battle is not on you. The outcome of the battle doesn't rest on your shoulders, so trust in the Lord. We all, like Jerusalem, listen, We have an army waging against us. And it wants to destroy us, and it wants to keep us from spending eternity with God, and that army is called sin. Every one of us, because of the fall, because of the very beginning, because of the tree and the disobedience in the garden, we've all been corrupted by sin. And it is waging war within us to turn our eyes from the Lord and find fulfillment in the things of the earth. At every turn, at every single turn, we are tempted to seek fulfillment in the created things of the world rather than the creator of the world. You following me with that? At every single turn, we're always tempted with something. 
time and time again, listen, through all of history, all of humanity has given in the temptation of sin, and we've all fallen short of the way God created us to live for him. And all of history gives a detailed account of humanity trying exhaustively to white-knuckle their way into freedom. Every war, every history book, every reformation, every good and bad thing that has ever happened since the beginning of time is a lesson that we are always trying to create freedom for ourselves. But listen, the battle was never ours. Are you guys tracking me with that? The battle for freedom, the battle to live in a, 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 a time of peace and, and, and no worry, no anxiety, like no fear, the, the, the responsibility to walk in the way you were created to, where the fullness of God dwells fully in you and with you, that battle was never ours. Jesus stepped in and he said, I'm going to take your cross. He said, I'm going to take your nails. I'm going to take your lashes. I'm going to bear the burden of this battle so that you can walk in victory with the Lord. Listen, he bore the battle of this army and he bore the battle of your sin. It's no different. No matter where you look in the Bible, God is always bearing the burden of battle for his people. And Jesus is always bearing the burden of battle against sin for us. And he is and will forever be victorious. Listen, write this down. Our victory against sin began with Jesus making the battle against sin his burden and not ours. You tracking me with that? Our victory against sin, it doesn't begin when something happens. It's already began because Jesus made the battle his. This battle for freedom from sin, it's not yours, but it's God's. Jesus took on your battle against lust, against addiction, against anger, against slander and gossip, against broken marriages and struggling families. Listen, he joyfully received that burden on the cross. And he wants you to know that he was victorious and that you can find freedom in all of those things. When we know the battle is not ours, we are freed from the grips of worry and anxiety because the hands that formed the universe are holding your future. What do you have to worry about if the victory is not in your hands, but it's already been won? Listen, but that's not even the best part of God's response. Check out verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. So not only does the outcome of the war not rest on your shoulders, now they're told they're not even going to fight. Listen, if there is an army multiple times larger than yours, on its way to destroy you, and someone tells you that you're not even going to have to fight to find victory, that's going to sound a little ridiculous. But it's also going to be freeing if it's the truth. If it's the truth that no matter what Israel's up against, they're not even going to have to fight to find victory, then that's good news. God says, I'm going to fight in your place. Listen, he's not fighting for Jerusalem like a partner that gets tagged into the match. You follow me with that? Like, we're not up against the ropes and God tags in and he comes in and he fights for his teammate. That's not what happened. God says, stay away from the ring. I'll go in. I'll take care of it. Just stand back. I'm actually going to do battle for you. 
Listen, this is exactly what Jesus does on the cross. This is exactly what Jesus does on the cross. He says, I'm going to fight sin and darkness for you. I'm going to crush Satan in your place. I'm going to put death to death in your place. Jesus steps into the ring against the kingdom of darkness, and he declares battle and says, they are mine. He fought by taking on all the wrath from God that we deserve for our sin. Listen, then he died the death we deserve. Then he rose from the grave to show that our victory over sin and death is not found in ourselves, but it's found in Jesus. He is victorious. He is victorious over sin and death. He is victorious over the grave. And so our victory over sin and death in the grave is found in the one who's already victorious. Our victory came through the pierced hands of Jesus. And listen, those same pierced hands hold together and seal your freedom for all of eternity. This is so important. Because when Jesus is our victory, we become free to worship him. We worship God as a result of knowing that he's in control. Can you track me with that? When we worship something, it's because we believe that it's in control. Whether it's your phone or video games, whether it's someone else or a schedule, you worship something that you believe is in control of your life. We worship God as a result of knowing that he's in control. And our God has declared that everything he does is for his glory and for our good. And if that God is the God that's in control, then we can find peace and freedom to give him our lives. That's good news. When you believe Jesus is really the victory, you can cast out fear and worry and shame and anxiety because you're not in control anymore. When we become free to worship Jesus fully, we find that our hearts are satisfied in his worship. Because worry is not invading our worship and anxiety is not invading our praise. Instead, we find peace to seek his face. Listen, Jesus is our victory. After establishing with his people that he's not only going to take the burden of war from them and that he's not only going to fight in their place, he commands them to do one more thing. Pick up the 17 on me again. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow... Go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. God tells them to go to war. Are you tracking me? You know how confusing that is? Listen, I'm going to take the burden of battle for you. I'm going to fight for you. Tomorrow, go out against them. Listen, this had me confused for weeks. I've been praying over this daily. Like, why why would you allow us to participate in an army that you're not even going to use? Right? Like, what's the point? What's the point of being drafted into the army of the Lord if all we're going to do is stand there and watch him win? And I prayed and I prayed because I knew there had to be something there. Right? There's got to be something there. And this is what the Lord told me. This is super cool. Listen, God takes us to the battle so that when we see his victory, we go and tell the nations about it. You tracking with me with that? When you see the walls of Jericho fall, are you just not going to tell anyone about it? Right? When, when the walls of Jericho come tumbling down after you marched around it seven times and blew a trumpet, are you not going to go tell everyone you know about what you saw? And generations will tell generations that will tell generations about what happened. When Isaiah is facing the Baal worshipers and he cries out to God and fire rains down and destroys all of them, you think Isaiah just didn't go and tell anybody? No, like Isaiah went and told people of the goodness of the Lord. 
When you see God be victorious like Strong Tower Camp last week, what is the first thing we did? We set up an entire service dedicated to telling people about what God did, how He was victorious, how He continues to reign over these lives. Seeing His victory in our lives and lives around us creates a desire and an urgency in us to share about the good news that we've been given, that Jesus is enough. Church, you are in a war where your only two commands are to worship God and share of His salvation. Where your only two commands are to worship God and to share His salvation. Worship the victorious Jesus and share His victories. When we worship in response to His victories over sin in our place, listen, we'll naturally share the story of salvation. It will just happen. When we worship in response to His victory over sin in our place, we'll naturally share the story of salvation. And maybe this morning you're feeling the weight of war, the exhaustion from battle, the anxiety from not knowing when the war will cease. And if that's you, I want to encourage you with just one thing. Turn to Jesus. That's the greatest news you could receive. Listen, turn to Jesus because he's already won the victory. Listen, turn to Jesus because he doesn't want you to worry. He doesn't want you to be anxious. He doesn't want you to be filled with fear. Listen, the Lord is not about that. And he didn't create you to inherit those things. He created you to inherit eternity. He created you to inherit a full a fullness that is only found in him. Listen, he's enough for you. He is your victory. Seek him out. Tell him about your worries and burdens so that he can show you his power and his victory. Talk to him and put your life in his hands. Watch his victory move. That's how you seek him. If you're wondering how you seek the Lord this morning, he just wants to have a conversation with you so he can show you through your conversation that he's already victorious. If you don't know him as your Savior this morning, I think that this is the time. Listen, he's, he's already won. He's already won the war. He's already broken the shackles of sin. And he's freed us from the grips of death. Stop. Stop fighting. Stop fighting. And turn to the one who holds your victory in his hands. Listen, if you've never given your life to Jesus, let today be that day. You can be free to worship Him. Listen, you can find satisfaction. You can find fulfillment because Jesus supplies us with those things when He won the grave. He loves you. Listen, I don't know where some of you are today, but I know that every day we will benefit from seeking the face of the Lord. Every day. And so I really want to take some time this morning to allow you to do that. I want to give you the opportunity to seek the Lord, to ask Him for victory. Listen, I don't know what your marriages look like. I don't know what your families look like. I don't know what your private life looks like. I don't know. I don't know. But I know the Lord wants to meet you there, and He wants to show you His victory, and He wants to erupt through those things and bring you with Him. Because our God's a God that loves being victorious, because that's all that He is. And that's good news, because He says, my victory is now in your place. Jesus has freed us, y'all. Freed us. And so as we go into worship, uh, I want you to give yourself the freedom to respond. Listen, uh, whatever's going on, I want you to put it aside. I want you to seek the Lord. I want you to talk to Him because that's what He wants. 
Listen, I've said this before, but when you prepare a meal at Thanksgiving and you're waiting for people to show up and you've got everything set, the table's made, the house is clean, you're kind of exhausted because cleaning the house is probably more than you expected it to be, but you're super stoked because you're, you've invited these people over and you're waiting and you're waiting and when that knock comes on the door, you spring to life. People are finally here and you run to the door and you open it up and you're like, come on in, come on in, come on in. Come on, let me show you my house. Let me show you, let me see, show, let me show you what I prepared for you. Check out this meal that I prepared for you. Listen, that's how Jesus wants to answer the door when you knock. You're not gonna knock and Jesus be like, oh, it's about time. <laughs> I made the meal like six hours ago, but I'm glad, I guess I'm glad you showed up. Listen, that's not the Jesus that we serve. He opens the door and he yanks you inside. He's like, come on, I already have the answer. He gets excited. Our Lord is excited to talk to us. So use this time this morning. Talk to him. And I promise you, you will find an answer. I promise you, you will find victory in your life. Because our God doesn't withhold his victory from his people. He does not. He will show you victory in your life. Pray to him. Talk to him. Seek him. And let's do it together. I love you guys. And I'm so excited for what God has planned for this church.